folks have concerning God and the matter of prayer is that many people will pray about something for a while, and when the answer doesn't come, uh, they think, well, no use praying about it anymore. Uh, didn't get an answer, so maybe I'll just, uh, what's the use? And uh, many of us won't admit that, but we've done that perhaps at one time or another. And this passage is here to challenge that notion. Um, in these verses, the Lord Jesus tells his disciples a parable that's designed to teach them the importance of remaining persistent in prayer. And I'd like for us to examine the parable together uh, this evening because we need to hear the truths that are taught here. Why is that? Well, because in the church and in the work of God, everything rises and falls on prayer. And that's why we have part of our Wednesday evening service is prayer meeting. We devote it to prayer. And by the way, it is a sad commentary that many people stay away from Wednesday service. I'm thankful you came tonight. Uh, and yet, some folks have all kinds of reasons, or should I say excuses. But we need to pray. And we need to be persistent in our praying for one another in our church body. Uh, the question is, are we praying? Um, it's interesting, we went to camp on Monday and uh, Dr. James Tillerson from the Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa is the speaker this week. And he preached on eight hindrances to prayer. I think uh, I preached problems of prayer recently or we had that problems of prayer and I think he added a couple of more so that was... Uh, to, to what I had done, but uh, it was an excellent uh, message. But uh, one of the challenges that he made is that so many times Christians don't spend time in Bible reading and prayer. It should be a daily experience, a daily thing, and yet uh, uh, so many times we don't get into the Word, we don't spend time in prayer, and the question is, are we praying? So let's look at this parable, see the truths that are contained here. And these are truths about persistent prayer. Notice, first of all, the cry of the widow. The cry of the widow. And first of all, we, uh, we notice her demand. Verse 3, uh, after introducing this uh, parable, in verse 2, the Lord says there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. But then in verse 3, it says, And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. Now we don't know the nature of the woman's burden, but she certainly had a grievance against someone that was, uh, it was, very, uh, it was very heavy on her heart. It was really bothering her. And uh, it apparently had to do with some, the relationship of, of something that had taken place in, in, this, in this city. And so we see here her demand in verse 3. But notice then her disadvantages. 
It says there in verse 4, And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. Uh, this uh, poor widow lady had several things working against her. Uh, she came for, uh, for satisfaction before the court of law. And the first thing we notice here, she was a woman, and women were not allowed to speak in court. She was a widow, so she had no husband to speak for her. Uh, she was a widow, and they were uh, a segment of society that was oppressed, often taken advantage of. Uh, she was a widow, and being a widow was synonymous uh, with being poor. She had no money. She could not... Uh, Grease the wheels of justice, so to speak. She couldn't bribe the judge if she had any money. Uh, of course, that wouldn't be the right thing to do, but she, she could not have paid uh, the judge to, to bribe him. So she was, she was poor. So those were disadvantages. But then notice her determination in verse 5. Yet, because the, women, women, the widow troubled me, this is the, the judge, uh, saying this, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So the Bible refers to her continual coming. And that has, has uh, the idea that she was begging the judge for help every day. She would show up to court, and there she was. Um, he, would, he would come in, and there she was. He went to the marketplace, and there she was. Uh, she pleaded him, uh, in front of his friends, she stalked him at home, I don't know, uh, all kinds of things that she just kept after him and kept after him. Everywhere he went, it seems, there she was, constantly asking him to give her satisfaction. And then notice her desperation. Now, because of her social standing and because of her financial standing, she had no other hope but to get help from this judge. And so she made a nuisance of herself every day until she received the very thing she was after. This is a parable, and this widow, I think, represents us. There are times when we're too burdened with the cares and worries and fears and troubles, and uh, during those times we may... Uh, it may seem that every circumstance of life is against us. And we may have the temptation to say, well, what's the use? Especially after we have prayed and prayed and prayed about the matter, and we don't seem to find any satisfaction. We don't get any answers. And yet if we learn anything from this poor woman, we need to learn the lesson of persistence in prayer and how it pays off in God's time. So we need to keep praying, despite all the obstacles we might face, and despite all the signs that would say, you know, just give up. Nothing's happening here. And so we find here this woman's cry, the cry of the widow. But then notice the coldness of the judge. The coldness of the judge. Uh, he was corrupt. Go back to verse 2 again. There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. He, he didn't care about God. He didn't care about man. All he cared about was his life and his own uh, 
needs. And so, simply put, he was a wicked man. And to understand this judge, we need to understand something about the judicial system in that day. I think it could be described in this way. The courtroom was not a fine building, but a tent that was moved from place to place as the judge covered his circuit. The judge, not the law, set the agenda. And he sat, he sat regally in his tent, surrounded by his assistants, and anybody uh, could watch the proceedings from the outside, but only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried. This usually meant bribing one of the assistants so that he would call uh, the judge's attention to the case. And this is still true in much of the third world today. He was a corrupt judge. But secondly, he was calloused. Again in verse 4, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man. Even though he had heard the widow's petition and saw that she had a case, he wouldn't do what she asked. He simply turned a deaf ear to her pleas for help. He was hard-hearted, close-minded to the needs of others. Thirdly, he was condescending. Now we see this in verses 4 and 5. In spite of his con spiritual condition, in spite of the fact that he didn't care about this widow and her, her needs. In the end, he did help her. Why? Well, the answer lies in verse 5. Verse 5, it says, Yet because the widow troubleth me, and that word troubleth is a key word there, it comes from two words which mean to reach forth to beat another or cause another trouble. Uh, she wasn't physically beating him, but she was... Uh, coming after him again and again, and it was like a beating. And it goes on to say, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The word weary, again, has the idea of beat down, to blacken the eye. Uh, it's a word used to describe the effects of being beaten severely about the head. And evidently this means that her continual coming before him, her constant crying was hurting this man's reputation. She was giving him a black eye in the community. She wasn't physically beating him, but she was kind of giving him a black eye in the community. Now, for us, the lesson here is this. We may not get the answer that we want immediately, but we keep asking, we keep believing. God will answer in his time. If you and I get an answer, if we're to get an answer, sometimes it might take some action on our part. Now, there's some things that uh, uh, we may pray about, but then we need to put feet to our prayers and and have do some things ourselves. We may say, well, Lord, I, I just pray that we'll see people saved in Spooner. You might pray that every day, every morning, every night. Pray for someone to be saved. Well, that's a prayer that needs some feet. That needs some action on our part. Consistent and persistent action. I believe that George Mueller, the great prayer warrior, said it well when he said, the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. 
They do not persevere. So that brings us to the contrast with our Father. Jesus now turns from the character of this parable to the Father up in heaven, and he shows us that God, who is nothing like the unjust judge, he delights in answering our prayers. First of all, he hears his people. Go up to verse 7, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? We never need to fear that God doesn't hear us because his ear is ever open to the cry of his children. Isaiah 65, verse 24, it says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So God hears his people. Secondly, he honors their persistence. In that verse it says, though at the end, though he bear long with them. Sometimes the prayer is answered immediately. At other times the answer is delayed. But the key is not to give up. God isn't just making us wait. You see, he's working out the answers that we might seek. And our persistence in prayer demonstrates the depth of our burden. If we pray about something once or twice and then give up, then we probably aren't really burdened about it. But a genuine burden will put you before the Lord and keep you there until he answers. He honors their persistence. Thirdly, he handles their petitions. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? God doesn't turn a deaf ear to our petitions, but he begins the process of working them out speedily. In truth, real prayer is an evidence of God's impending answer. Why would I say that? Well, because real prayer begins with God. The Spirit burdens our hearts, and then we offer that burden back to God. God is already busily engaging in bringing about the answer. Romans eight twenty six and 27, and there it says, The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. And what a great confidence we can have that uh, as we pray, the Spirit is making intercession for us. What a desire that should put within us to seek his face more consistently, more persistently in prayer. There's a story that illustrates the value of persistence in prayer. Uh, it's about a fellow by the name of Roger Sims. He was hitchhiking his way home, and he'll never forget the date. It was May the 7th. His heavy suitcase made him tired. He was eager to get off out of his army uniform once and for all. And flashing the hitchhiking sign to an oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek, brand new Cadillac. 
To his surprise, the car stopped. And the passenger door opened. He ran toward the car. He tossed his suitcase in the back, suitcase in the back and thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. The man said, going home for keeps? Roger said, sure am. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Well, not quite that far. So Roger asked, do you live in Chicago? The man said, I have a business there. My name is Hanover. After talking about many things, Roger, who was a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-some-year-old, apparently successful businessman. And, uh, but he kept putting it off until he realized there was just about 30 uh, minutes till, till they came to his home. And so he said, boy, I've got to say something now or never. So he cleared his throat and said, Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something that's very important. And then he proceeded to explain the way of salvation. He ultimately asked Mr. Hanover if he would like to receive Christ as his Savior. And to Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road, and Roger thought he was going to get kicked out. But the businessman bowed his head, and he received Christ. And then he thanked Roger, and he said, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Well, five years went by. Roger got married, had a little boy, and then a business of his own. And as he was packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago, he found a small white business card that Hanover had given to him five years before. And so I thought, I'll look up that place, uh, that business, Hanover Enterprises. And the reception the receptionist said when he came there, he told him, well, it's impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but you can see Mrs. Hanover. A little confused about what was going on, he was ushered into a lovely office, found himself facing a woman in her 50s. She extended her hand and she said, you knew my husband? Roger told her that her husband had given him a ride when hitchhiking hitchhiking home from war. And she said, well, can you tell me when that was? Roger says, it was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the army. And she said, anything special about that day? Well, he hesitated. Should he mention that he had given a witness to the, her husband? Well, she had come this far, so he might as well go on and tell her too. So Mrs. Hanover, he explained, I told your husband the gospel. And he pulled over to the side of the robe and he wept against the steering wheel and he gave his life to Christ that day. And then she exploded with sobs that shook her body. Finally getting a grip on herself, she sobbed, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. And I believed that God would save him. And then, Roger said, well, where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover? Well, he's, he's, he's dead. And she wept, struggling with the words, he was in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. And sobbing and crying, and she continued, she said, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought he was, God had not kept his word. But you see, God can handle our petitions. 
We may not understand how he's going to do it or when he's going to do it, but he'll handle our petitions. And then that brings us to the challenge to the saints here. What do we do with a message like this, a study like this? I think the answer can be summed up in three simple challenges that make the difference, all the difference in our prayer lives, especially during uh, days of crisis and trial. The first thing is, be committed to prayer. Go back to verse 1. It says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. The preacher on Monday, in talking about the eight hindrances to prayer, and this was one that I hadn't put in my uh, similar message, but he's, number one was the fact we don't pray. The biggest hindrance to prayer is we don't pray. Jesus said that we ought always to pray. And that's the idea we find in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where the Bible says, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Now, without ceasing has the idea of no intermission. It's kind of like a nagging cough that some of us had after we had COVID. <laughs> or we've had a cold in the wintertime and just nagging cough. Kind of, you know, that tickle in the back of your throat? This kind of keeps coming. That's kind of what it, it, it's, it's saying here. Jesus is telling us to be ready, to be on guard, to be watchful. It's the idea of being in an attitude and atmosphere of prayer all the time. You see, prayer is more than just an obligation. It's more than just uh, saying your prayer uh, in the morning or before you go to bed or coming to prayer meeting. It's more than that. It's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to be in touch with our Heavenly Father anytime, day or night, when there's a need that arises. Be committed to it. Secondly, be consistent in prayer. He says here in verse 1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. That means uh, to lose heart, to become slothful, to grow weary. And Jesus would challenge his people not to lose heart during the times when the answer to prayer is delayed. Don't give up. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. God will move in his time. That's illustrated in, in the Lord's promise in Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then thirdly, be comforted by prayer. Go on to verse 8 again. The last question in verse 8 wonders if Jesus will find faith when he returns. Will he find his people persisting in prayer before the Father over the things that really matter? Shall he find faith on the earth? Shall he find faith in your life and my life? Are we continually coming to God because we believe we have faith that he will answer? And that answer uh, to that question depends upon you and me. We may be faithful and we may not. 
we might persist and we might not. You could say, well, where is their comfort in that? Well, it lies in what Jesus said. Notice that he said, when the Son of Man cometh. He's coming again. The comfort in prayer is this. God's people may not always do what they're supposed to do, but we can count on the Lord. He's going to keep his promises. He'll be faithful to honor his word. You may feel like giving up, but keep on praying, and he'll answer in his time. That is the promise that you find throughout the New Testament. Well, one last illustration as I draw this to a conclusion. While crossing the Atlantic, an ocean liner, uh, in an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer, who was a theologian from years ago, was asked to answer, excuse, uh, to address the passengers on the subject of answered prayer. There was an agnostic in the audience who was there, and he asked, well, what did you think? Of, uh, he was asked after the uh, message, uh, what did you think of Dr. Meyer's sermon? And he replied, I didn't believe a word of it. Later on that afternoon, the agnostic was on his way to another service just to hear it, as he put it, to see what the babbler had to say. He was just going to go and see what he had to say this time. Well, he had two oranges in his pocket, and as he walked toward the meeting place, he passed an elderly woman sitting in her chair, fast asleep, and just for a joke, the man slipped the two oranges into her outstretched arms. After the meeting, she saw the old lady happily eating one of the oranges, and he remarked, you seem to be really enjoying those oranges, ma'am. To which she supplied, yes, sir, my father is very good to me. He said, your father? Surely your father isn't still alive. She said, oh, praise God, he's very much alive. And she then went on to explain to the agnostic, he, she said, you see, I've been seasick for days. I've been asking God to somehow send me an orange to help ease my sickness. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying. And yet when I woke up, I found he had not only sent me one orange, but he had sent me two. To this response, the agnostic was speechless. Later on that same cruise, he was converted to Christ and was made a believer that God does answer prayer. So keep on praying. The answer is on the way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this tremendous lesson that we all need to remember that we are to, ought, we are to always be praying not to faint. Help us to trust you have faith in you that you're going to answer in your time. Thank you for your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name.